to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Fibroids in the uterus. Around 70 to 80% of women will develop one over their lifetime. And this is what you should know about them because they are not just a mass of tissue coming out of your uterus. They are a sign that something is going on with your health. And this is what I'm going to teach you about today. Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show, hosted by a medical doctor with a different spin on women's health. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. Such a pleasure to have you join me today. We are going to go deep into fibroids. And this is a um, personal topic of interest for me because I did have a fibroid growing out of my uterus. Um, It was discovered on an abdominal ultrasound. Mine reached about uh, four centimeters in size, which, you know, if you think about it, is about that big. I'm just showing three of my fingers here. So a pretty decent size, although I have met women who have had much larger ones as much as 12 centimeters. So that's pretty big, right? So we want to know today, what are fibroids? Are they harmful? And should you be concerned about them? And are there things that you can do to shrink them? What are the best treatment options based on what we know about what causes them? So thank you for joining me today. Let's dive right in. If you're joining me from my private free Facebook group from women called Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, please put, feel free to put in your comments and questions. I will do my best to answer them either during the talk or towards the end. Okay, so what are fibroids? So fibroids are the most common benign tumor happening in women in the gynecological system. So if you look at things like the breasts and the uterus and the ovaries, uh, they are the most common benign tumor, which means that it's a tumor-like growth and it's involving the muscles of the uterus. However, it's benign because they don't uh, spread. Um, so they're not going to spread outside of the uterus and go into other organ tissues, for example. And they're benign in that people don't die from having um, fibroids. However, we are going to cover some concerns that you may experience about having fibroids. Now, um, I mentioned at the beginning that around 70 to 80% of women will experience a fibroid in their lifetime. And it can be a small one. It can be a big one. There can be multiple ones more than one fibroid and they can happen before menopause it can happen after like in menopause so after perimenopause so it can happen at any point in your life stage when you have one before menopause the natural history is that they can improve in menopause but also they cannot and as i mentioned also grow in menopause like the first presentation being when you're in menopause And there are three different kinds of fibroids, and it's based on where you will find them. So the first kind is what's called intramucosal. So it's inside 
the, the uterus muscle layer. So it's like, if you think about the uterus, it's got three layers. It's got the outside covering. It's got the inside muscle tissue. And then it's got the inside covering um, of the uterus. And so the first one grows inside the muscle tissue. This other kind can grow outside in the outside layer layer of the uterus. So if you were to look at the uterus, it'd be this fibroid growing out of it, like a big bump growing out of it. And then there's a third kind, which is growing into the uterine cavity. So it's like the bump would be if you were to look inside the cavity of the uterus, um, you would see like the, the fibroid growing. Okay? And again, it could be like a tiny bump or it could be very, very large. All right. And what people may experience is that um, they may experience nothing. It might even be something that they accidentally find on an ultrasound or a CT scan or MRI of the abdomen for other reasons being investigated. Or it could be that you present to your doctor because you're experiencing problems with abnormal bleeding from the uterus. So like your periods or menstruation could be um, off. You could be bleeding too much at the wrong time, for example. And that can even happen in menopause. And if you present in menopause with abnormal uterine bleeding, the doctor's going to be a bit more worried that it may not be a fibroid, but rather a cancer called leiomyosarcoma. And so they're going to be more likely to do investigations like a biopsy. Um, so that is one thing that you want to always be aware of and your doctor is going to have in the back of their mind um, to rule out a, that it's a cancerous kind of growth and not a benign growth. That's very rare, very, very rare um, and usually more of a problem in menopause. So in the later years. And the thing is that you may present with constipation. So if you think about um, if you have a fibroid growing in your uterus, if it grows big enough and it's on the outside part, if it's that that growing outside of the uterus it can also it can actually start putting pressure because it's like a mass on the body parts on the parts around there so what's around there well your um, colon is around there so it can get put pressure on the colon it can cause constipation it can put pressure on the bladder which causes you to want to go to the bathroom more frequently like frequent urination and it can put pressure on the tissues and the nerves and it can cause pain. So you can actually get pelvic pain, a feeling of pelvic fullness all the way through to pelvic pain. So those are reasons that um, people can present to the doctor and they do an ultrasound or imaging of the abdomen and discover the fibroid and they see this mass. And so then the question is, okay, I've been diagnosed with a fibroid. Should I be concerned about this fibroid? I've had um, you know, people say that, oh, my doctor, we saw the fibroid in there. It was an accidental finding, right? And uh, it's not causing me any problems. So may, you know, we'll just watch and, and observe it and it should be okay. You know, it will not cause a problem over this lifetime. Um, so that's one group of people. The other group of people, it was discovered because there was a problem. And then, uh, you know, the uterine bleeding, uh, the constipation, the um, pressing on the bladder with the urination, the pain. And also one I forgot to mention is infertility. If you have a big mass sitting in your uterus, it could get in the way of you being able to conceive, right? To get pregnant for that egg to implant and successfully implant in the uterus and grow. So that's another reason that people may discover a fibroid is they've been trying to get pregnant. 
um, the doctor orders an ultrasound and the, and you know one of the findings is a fibroid is it related to the infertility or not we're not exactly sure however i'm going to be discussing some things that may raise um, a red flag that it actually could be causing infertility or contributing to it but not in the way that you think not in a structural way necessarily of stopping a child from being able to grow within the uterine cavity although if it's large enough that would be a problem that could be a potential problem for sure so what I would say to you is that there is actually a reason to be concerned about your fibroid regardless as to whether or not it is causing you a problem in terms of it pinching something or pressuring something or getting in the way of something like your pooing or your fertility. Um, you know, even if it's not causing you any problems, there is a reason to be concerned with your fibroid. And that's because the fibroid is actually an, a signal that something is not going well with the hormone production and function in your body. So let me repeat that. The fibroid is a sign, a signal, that something with your hormone production and function in your body is not going well. And in fact, this problem in hormone production and function is also found in uh, tissues of endometriosis, intramutual cancer, and breast cancer. So if anyone ever asks, what does fibroids have in common with endometriosis, endometrial cancer, and breast cancer, this is the answer. And the answer is, and I'm going to explain this to you, that research has conclusively shown that if you take the tissue, the fibroid tissue, and you analyze that tissue and you compare it to normal uterus tissue, that fibroid tissue has an abnormality with increased aromatase enzyme activity, which causes an increase in estrogen production in that tissue. So there is a local increased overproduction of estrogen in the fibroid tissue that is not present in the normal uterus muscle tissue. This is a really, really big finding and understanding. And the research also shows that when you biopsy and you take these tissues from endometriosis, endometrial cancer and breast cancer, they have the same problem. They have an increased aromatase enzyme activity. What is the aromatase enzyme? Enzymes are tools that do things in the body. And the aromatase, aromatase enzyme, its function is to create estrogen in the body. So it exists in the ovaries, right? It exists actually in many tissues. Its um, potential to work exists in every tissue because we have the same genetics in every tissue, but certain tissues have that enzyme turned on and certain tissues have that enzyme turned off. In the uterus muscle, the aromatase enzyme is not supposed to be creating estrogen. And what does it create it from? It takes testosterone and transforms it into estrogen. And for those of you who are in the medical community, it also takes um, androstenodione, which is another androgen. So the androgen family are the testosterone and androstenodione. And the aromatase, what they do is they convert them into estrone 
and estradiol. And then there's another enzyme called 17-beta-hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase. That's a mouthful. And that converts estrone into estradiol. And estradiol is the most active form of estrogen in our body. So something happens within these tissues that form fibroids, endometriosis, endometrial cancer, and breast cancer that causes the body to take testosterone and turn it into estradiol. Um, and it should not be doing that. And the effect of the estradiol appears to be stimulating the tissue growth. And in breast cancer, it's stimulation, stimulating breast cancer uh, tissue growth. In the endometrial cancer, it's the endometrial cancer growth. In endometriosis, it's the formation of the endometrium. Um, and why that endometrium goes away from the uterus and spreads to other parts of the body is not understood. But what we do know is that if you look at that tissue that is spreading through different parts of the body, it has the same problem where that aromatase enzyme is being activated. And now you're getting increased estrogen production. So that estrogen production is just in the tissue. So if you were to do a blood test, your hormone panel could look totally normal. Isn't that fascinating? So, you know, when people say, well, estrogen dominance causes fibroids, you know, the medical community um, is very skeptical of this and rightly so in the sense that if I were to do a, a estrogen panel on you on the blood test or the urine test or the saliva test, however you want to test it, you will not see that estrogen dominance, that increased estradiol production. It requires a biopsy, like a taking out of the tissue and analyzing it. And so they only really do that in research. And in research, that, that is what they have found. Um, you know, if you want to, me to share the references for what I'm telling you, I'm more than happy to. And I can pop it into the show notes if this is of interest. But what I can tell you is it 100% is. So then um, the next question that um, should be arising in your mind, which, you know, it arose in my mind, is why do fibroids happen? Why is that aromatase enzyme activity increased? Why is it increased? So it appears to be a, uh, a combination of potential different factors. And a person could have one factor that's contributing to this or a combination of two or more. And we're going to go through the factors that have been shown in research to increase the aromatase enzyme activity. Okay, so let's go through this. So we're going to talk about three reasons why um, your tissue could be producing more estrogen locally um, in a way that it should not be doing and is causing these other health concerns. Now, the interesting thing is that it, you, the genetics seems to predispose where the health concern happens and in what sequence. So um, some women will develop fibroids, some women will develop endometriosis, some women will develop the cancers, some women will develop all three of them. And that seems to be a genetic predisposition as to how that's going to play out. So the genetics loads the gun, but the root causes pull the trigger. So let's find out what those root causes are. So root cause number one is inflammation. Inflammation in the body. And again, for those of you who are um, minded, you know, like really want the details, it's the production of the inflammation that causes an increase in prostaglandin E2, PGE2. That inflammation causes these inflammatory molecules to float around the body. And in some places, you know, based on your genetic predisposition, it'll trigger 
this enzyme to start um, working and when it shouldn't be doing its job there. It should not be doing its job in the muscle of the uh, uterus. So inflammation. So you're saying, well, what causes inflammation in the body? The most common sources of inflammation in today's modern society are from our food. That's not very surprising in a way because the one thing that we're constantly exposing our body to is food. We eat through, you know, morning, midday, night, you know, sometimes even snacking in between. Um, what we eat and what we drink are a big, is a big source of exposure um, to our body. And so what has been shown in research to increase and increase inflammation from our foods are some toxins. I'm going to call them toxins. Um, you'll find them in the list of ingredients in your processed and packaged foods. So certain ingredients added to your processed and packaged foods. And these ingredients are added for the purpose of improving the texture of the food and improving how long that food will last on the shelf. So they're called dietary emulsifiers. And they have been proven to cause inflammation in the body, in the human body. And they have also been proven to hurt the gut health. And that's how it happens. So it hurts gut health through effects on the gut microbiome, which are the organisms living within our gut that help protect the gut and nourish the gut and help the gut in its daily functions. And when you hurt the gut microbiome, you hurt the gut. And when you hurt the gut, you cause inflammation in the lining of the gut. And then the inflammation in the lining of the gut activates the immune system that lives in the lining of the gut. And that causes inflammation in the rest of the body. That's the connection of all the dots on that one. The same thing for sugar. So it can be obvious sugar, like, you know, candies, cookies, pastries, lollipops, fruit juices, those kinds of things. And it can be hidden sugars, hidden sugars in the processed foods that are added to make the food taste good. Sugar, uh, other than natural sugars in small, moderate amounts like raw pasteurized honey or natural maple syrup or seasonal fruits in moderation, anything beyond that and, and in excess becomes a poison. And it's a poison to our immune system. And our immune system, get when it gets activated, it triggers inflammation. And that's another way that you can cause inflammation to um, activate that uh, aromatase enzyme, which will increase the estrogen production in certain tissues in your body. The other interesting thing about the sugar is that when you have a lot of sugar in your diet and you're eating, um, you know, either obvious or hidden sugars, you're eating them frequently and they're spiking the sugar in the blood frequently, that over time can lead to a condition called insulin resistance. Insulin is your sugar hormone. And if you're causing the body to have to pump it out a lot based on the amount of sugar that you're eating, over time, your body will become less sensitive, less able to sense the activity of the hormone insulin. That leads to a condition called insulin resistance. And insulin resistance causes inflammation in the body. Also, over time, it leads to the diagnosis of prediabetes and diabetes. But even before that diagnosis is made, that inflammation in the body is happening. And I've worked actually with women who were in their 20s who were unknowingly eating quite high sugar content foods. And these foods come disguised as organic and natural and healthy, you know, processed packaged foods. Or maybe they are doing smoothie, fruit smoothies, thinking that it's a healthy thing to do. 
you know, vegetable smoothies versus fruit smoothies, totally different animals. One will not spike your blood sugar. The other one will. Um, you know, fruit juices in younger people, um, pop, granola bars, breakfast cereals, protein bars with lots of hidden sugars, protein powders with hidden sugars, bread with hidden sugars. It's actually quite amazing. Gluten-free products, baked products have tons of hidden sugars to improve the taste that is lost when you remove gluten. So a lot of women are out there having problems with their blood sugar balance, causing um, problems with their insulin hormone, and that leads to inflammation in the body. The other toxin that comes in with our food that can cause inflammation in the body are pesticides. And also we know that the ingestion of pesticides is harmful to the body, especially small amounts over time. And that can cause inflammation in the body. And so unless you're buying organic, we're looking out for those high-risk foods like berries and grapes that make wine, beans that make coffee, grains that make oats and rice and wheat, beans. All of these are very heavily sprayed crops, soy, corn. So there are certain things that are really worth investing in for your body's health for your female organs but also for men as well this isn't just for women that tip is not just for women and then the other inflammation caused by foods category is food sensitivities so if you are eating a food that your body has either been born with a sensitivity to or developed a sensitivity to what do i mean by sensitivity i mean well there's a food allergy which you it's very obvious like you know a peanut allergy you're going to immediately stop eating peanuts when you get a peanut allergy because it's like an immediate reaction. The food sensitivity is a slow, um, you know, you eat the food and hours or even days later, the, the, the reaction shows up. And that's also your immune system is the one that um, is in charge of that. Your immune system recognizes that food as a foreign invader. It attacks it and um, that causes an immune activation and inflammation. And uh, it shows up for people in different ways. When I eat certain foods like um, cacao um, and dairy, I get a rash around my eyes, perioral dermatitis. Some people get joint pain, brain fog. Uh, you know, it can affect any part of the body because it's an inflammatory condition involving the immune system, which can go anywhere in the body. So food sensitivities. Um, and the only way to really identify those is by doing a, an elimination diet of the most commonly inflammatory foods, and seeing how your body responds to that. The uh, third, uh, the second is um, that we're going to be talking about now. So we talked about inflammation is environmental toxins. And this is actually really interesting because this is pretty new science showing that the toxins found in our environment, like normally found in our environment now as a result of you know, plastics and all those things, phthalates, BPA, at the levels that they're currently found, these toxins have the ability to stimulate our aromatase activity and also to act like estrogen itself and to stimulate estrogen receptors, which means that the body thinks that there's more estrogen around, which is really deceiving because you can, again, you could do blood tests. You could be showing all the signs of estrogen dominance, like fibroids, endometriosis, cancer, um, and yet you do a blood test and the blood test shows that the estrogen levels are normal. Well, that's because the blood test or the urine test or the saliva test 
detects the human estrogen, but does not detect the, the environmental toxins estrogen. So again, you know, that's a situation where your doctor's doing his or her best, trying to find out the reason for why you're, you know, experiencing these conditions and all the blood work is showing up normal, right? All the investigations are showing up normal and then they go, okay, well then here's the treatment, which we're going to get into as to whether or not it's the best kind of treatments, which are the medications and the surgeries. And are there other options? We're going to be talking about that at the end. And the interesting thing too, is that Sometimes, um, you know, researchers will be like, well, let's see, does this one toxin cause a problem? No. Does this other toxin cause a problem? No. And then the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration will say, oh, well, this toxin doesn't cause a problem. Well, there was a very recent research that showed that actually toxins have what, are, what is called a synergistic effect. When you have one toxin joined with another or more, the activation of the estrogen receptors is super amplified. So the one toxin on its own doesn't make any difference almost at all. But when you join them in small amounts to their other, to other toxins, it's like this chemistry happens and all of a sudden the estrogen receptors are super stimulated. And when I came across the study, it was like, wow, just the lights went on and it was thinking, wow, you know, yeah, of course, if you're going to study one toxin in isolation, you may find that it's safe, but when it's combined in the way that it currently is in nature, because everything is just this like soup going around, that's when the damage happens. So of course, you know, there are things that you can do to protect yourself from, you know, the toxins coming in. A big source of exposure I've already talked about, which is the pesticides and the um, toxins in your foods. But the other one for women in particular is your body lotions, your body creams, your shampoos, your cosmetics, your your blush, your lipstick, your nail polish. Definitely it goes in through the nail into the bloodstream and your household products you know, even the rinse aid in your dishwasher, I don't even use that. It's such chemical crap. <laughs> and if it's that there's a residue of it actually left on your dishes after the rinse cycle. And if you're taking that dish and then putting your food and eating off of it, that's an exposure right there. So becoming really savvy and aware of what's going on and what your body is being exposed to um, and if you follow me along or if you look at my playlist, you're going to see, you know, skin health. What do I use for my skin products? You know, there are different um, things, different topics for different days. But this is just giving you a really big overview of like why it could be that you or someone you love have one or more fibroids. And the fact that you need to be attentive to this because it is a sign of an underlying hormonal dysregulation in your tissues. The third reason is excess fat or being overweight. Now, the thing is that um, this is one reason, but it is not a reason that needs to be there in every person who has a fibroid. So, for example, I was not overweight when I had my fibroid, and I've known a lot of women who are not overweight with fibroids. However, if you are overweight and you have excess fat tissue, it increases your risk of getting a fibroid and increases your risk of your fibroid being bigger. Why? Because in fat cells, the aromatase activity is also increased. So fat cells actually make estrogen. And so the more fat cells you have, the more estrogen you have circulating. Estrogen in high amounts is inflammatory. 
So then the estrogen stimulates the inflammation with increased production of um, uh, a COX-2 enzyme that then increases PGE2, that then stimulates the aromatase uh, activity in the body, right? So it's just the super fascinating interconnected, you know, systems approach. So, you know, if you are overweight and you have fibroids, then there's a specific thing that you need to focus on, which is trying to decrease the amount of body fat, which of course is super easy to say and hard to do. However, um, it is something that needs to be taken into consideration. And the cool thing is that when you're looking at, you know, treating fibroids naturally, those solutions actually also help you lose weight. Because when you're using natural holistic solutions, they help the whole body get better, not just that one single specific organ or one tissue, the fibroid. So that already is a benefit of going the of um, utilizing the natural holistic approach on its own, or in addition to um, Western medicine options like medication and surgery. Um, because, and this is where I'm going to get into the last point, which is what can we do to shrink fibroids? Is medication or surgery the only and best option? And here's the interesting thing is that the medications um, currently available are um, interestingly targeted at inhibiting the aromatase enzyme. So they're aromatase inhibitors or um, down-regulating the estrogen receptors and um, also changing the way the progesterone receptors are working because when you have increased progesterone, it affects progest uh, increased estrogen, it affects progesterone and vice versa. These are all interconnected. So the medications are actually aimed at trying to disrupt those pathways that I've just been teaching you about. But the thing is that they do not treat the root cause. So Let's say it's an inflammatory diet or inflammatory toxins in your body, um, food sensitivities. If all you do is you take the medication or you have the surgery and you cut it out, that underlying inflammation is still going on. So while your fibroids have been treated, your body is still being exposed to inflammation or toxins or increased estrogen production from the fat cells. So you see how It'll temporarily solve the problem, but the fire will continue to burn and it will in the future show up as other health conditions. So I'm not saying don't use medications and surgery. Sometimes there is a need for those things. Um, for example, if the fibroid is really massive and it's pinching on something, there is an argument to be made for surgically removing it. And they have very elegant solutions these days on minimally invasive procedures. So, you know, try to find the surgeon who has been trained in the most minimally invasive procedure, such as, um, you know, ablating the artery to the fibroid, you know, the artery that feeds the fibroid, you know, cauterizing that so the blood flow doesn't go in there so the fibroid tissue dies. You know, there are many different methods. and and after the surgery, continue to work on the whole body health piece, on the, you know, addressing the inflammation, looking at your environmental toxins exposure, supporting natural systems of detoxification, working with, um, you know, holistic health professionals like myself to reduce body, unwanted body fat, um, and to support your natural systems of detoxification. All of those things still need to be pursued. And in some individuals, the medications and the surgery may not be necessary. I reversed my fibroids, my fibroid, my one fibroid, 
four centimeters naturally. And it was, I did need to do um, changes to my food, to my diet. And I had to look at my environmental toxins, um, decrease, like I basically revamped my household cleaning products, went all natural. I used like vinegar, you know, to clean things. I revamped my cosmetics and um, my body lotions. I do, you know, my own body oils now. Um, And I took specific supplements to support my systems of detoxification. And I do things to support my detoxification, like lymphatic drainage. Um, sweating is wonderful for detoxification, supporting bowel movements, because we, re- you know, making sure you're not constipated. And you may require, you know, some supplements for that, depending on how, how bad, you know, you should be pooping about two to four times a day but not in a diarrhea kind of way, in a controlled, well-formed poop kind of way. That's often what is needed for healthy um, estrogen detoxification. Your estrogen gets, is uh, your body detoxifies estrogen through the poop. So you need to make sure that you're pooping properly to get rid of that excess toxic estrogen. Um, and by the way, some people poop like once every couple of days or once a week. That, while that might be common, that's not normal. And research shows that if you poop less than two to one times a day, your increased risk for breast um, breast disease goes up significantly. So this is a real issue and a really, really important one to know. So what can you do in order to, um, you know, specifically address that aromatase activity? You want to inhibit the aromatase activity while you are, you know, working on your non-inflammatory diet. And you want to do this naturally without the use of medications, or you want it to, you want to add it on. If this is something that you're really interested in, I'm going to be talking about that on the next week's episode. I'm going to go deep into the food that will help you shrink your fibroids naturally. And it's everything from um, food, nutrition, supplements. Um, all of those um, natural holistic uh, methods that I used with success that I've seen other w- women using and that have been shown in research to really actually um, affect, have a positive effect on our aromatase enzyme activity and our estrogen um, body production and function. So if that's of interest to you, join me next week. You don't want to miss out. Thank you so much for joining me today. I don't see any comments uh, from viewers. I see I have a few viewers. So thank you and well, uh, thank you for joining. And if you're watching this as a replay, please feel free to save, share, subscribe. Sharing is caring and other people deserve to know root cause solutions for their health concerns. And I wish you well. I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night, depending on when you catch this. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. 
everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 